Good evening. Uh, my name is Professor Margaret Gardner. I'm the Vice-Chancellor and President of RMIT University and it's my very, very great pleasure to welcome all of you here this evening along with so many distinguished guests including uh, our panel sitting here but also our many guests in the audience drawn from near and far. Um, but before I mention them, let me begin by acknowledging that we meet here on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. This is a wonderful preview event prior to the official opening of the exhibition Walter Van Berendonk Dream the World Awake at RMIT's Design Hub. Um, I want to acknowledge some particular people uh, in the audience before uh, just a brief introduction of the panel. Many of you will be aware that, of course, Dream the World Awake opens on uh, this week at RMIT's Design Hub. It is, is on show until the 5th of October and we expect to see many excited people there. I want to acknowledge um, Naomi Milgram, AO, uh, business leader, philanthropist, uh, who through her leadership and her and in recognition of her long-standing relationship with RMIT through her generous support has enabled this wonderful cutting-edge exhibition to travel uh, from Antwerp to Melbourne uh, to RMIT. So I want to say a big welcome to Naomi and a big thank you. and also to her partner, John Caldor, who's known to many of you for his visionary art leadership, arts leadership. Now, in fact, there are too many distinguished guests here to mention by name, um, but all of you, in one way or another, bring your special creative skills and vision, I think, into this room to hear this wonderful conversation. So we are very pleased to welcome here this evening to this evening's In Conversation, um, Chris Durkin, Director of London's world-renowned Tate Modern, who will officially open the exhibition at the RMIT Design Hall. Welcome, Chris. And of course, uh, the visionary designer himself, Walter Van Berendonk, who's extraordinary type. His extraordinary talent and inspirational output is on display in many ways through this exhibition. Welcome to Melbourne and again to RMIT World. Um, Dream the World Awake is from the Momu Fashion Museum province of Antwerp in Belgium and has been described as an exhibition that blurs the demarcation between fantasy and reality. It's, it's hard for one to say more than it is appropriately titled Dream the World Awake. Uh, it features more than 80 uh, looks on revolving mannequins alongside large-scale images uh, 
videos of the designers' runways and an astonishing wonder wall that brings uh, Walter's creative vision to life. Uh, and it's all on display in our award-winning design hub, just a short walk up Swanston Street from here. And the design hub was designed to make possible inspirational output and design and to provide a space, a processional space where we could truly appreciate it. And I think it's very fitting that this is the first uh, ex major exhibition in that space. But, and this is the first time that this particular exhibition has been outside Europe. But now, enough from me, I'd like to introduce the person who is driving this conversation with these two remarkable people to introduce Associate Professor Robin Healy from RMIT School of Fashion and Textiles. Robin is the school's head uh, and her own practice and research includes curating fashion cultures and environments and engagement with public collections and contemporary fashion practice. She will be discussing in further detail the renowned work of Walter van Berendonk and Chris Durkin. And so I now invite Associate Professor Robin Healy to begin this evening's discussion. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Um, I'm just going to set the scene for tonight's conversation. I'm here as a facilitator. Um, to not take over the, the, the conversation, but to prompt um, certain ways of looking at fashion design and, of course, Walter van Berendonck. So tonight's conversation is a teaser, a preview to the exhibition on display at RMIT's Design Hub. So we're not showing you any images from um, the exhibition. Uh, we'll just talk about it so much that you'll just really need to go. Um, and it is an extraordinary exhibition. Um, I can't even begin to describe um, the experience that you will actually um, have when you go to the Design Hub. But I'll give, you, I'll give you a little bit of context to set the scene for this evening. Um, the exhibition Dream the World Awake is drawn from the designer's extensive archive. The exhibition proposes a continuum of design activity where the sequence of works on display is not simply an historical mapping of clothing collections or documentation of past fashion moments or trends, but suggests the potential of the processes and communication of design generated through an independent practice. In thinking about an exhibition as an extension of practice, the exhibition experience is immersed in the exhibition's creation an unravelling of the designer's thoughts, understandings and makings. The design space is not a static environment or place of spectatorship, but one of participation and of making lots of noise. An exhibition entitled Dream the World Awake is an incitement of sorts, a creative portal of future possibility, heralding the power of fashion to shift customary relations and experience. The relationship between Walter van Berendonck and Melbourne is one that has grown over a number of years. Walter first visited Melbourne in 2000 as an international guest of the Melbourne Fashion Festival to mentor local industry in designing, and this is a quote, 
what young people want to wear. Good luck with that one. Um, he was invited to be a keynote speaker at the business seminar and share his experience designing the cult fashion line Walt for the Mustang Jeans Group. I joined Walter and magazine editor and fashion commentator Stephen Todd on this very stage. I actually recognise a number of faces in the audience tonight who were there. We're a lot wiser since 2000. The interest in Melbourne about Walter Van Verandonk's practice was concerned not only with the production of clothing, but in the creation of new environments to mediate and distribute fashion that appealed to an emerging computer literate generation. In designing for the post-jeans generation of the 1990s, the label Walt adopted new digital technologies to communicate design by experiences like viewing live stream catwalk parades on the internet, playing fashion video games on Sony PlayStation 1, or attending cinematic style runway events akin to a rock concert or a rave party. Today, the compelling narrative drawn from Walter van Berendong's design practice is about the power of bold design thinking and making, drawn from small-scale enterprise to inspire and shift the greater fashion community. Set against a background of an increasingly homogenised global design environment, Dream the World Awake draws attention to the nature and role of independent creative enterprise. It prompts our thinking about practices of change, design education, transdisciplinary approaches, to contemplate how these activities influence and define ideas about fashion, national identity, place branding, and communicate distinctive and sustainable approaches to the design and production of clothes. So tonight, we are excited to bring together Walter van Berendonck and Chris Durkin. These are true believers in fashion. The conversation tonight will unravel their individual backgrounds so I won't go into too much detail, but I'll just set the scene again for both participants. Chris Durkin, as you know, is head of Tate Modern London, the most visited art museum in the world. His reputation for broadening the environment, context, experience of the Art Gallery Museum to be inclusive of contemporary practices of fashion and textiles is something we all encourage. Durkin has noted that fashion is the representational model and discourse of the 21st century. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. In a recent article in the Sydney Morning Herald, Durkin spoke of his secret hobby of textiles. Walter van Berendonck is highly recognised as the leader of Antwerp's vibrant creative community, where he runs a highly respected design practice. He is the inspirational head of fashion at Antwerp's Royal Academy of Fine Art. The fashion program is known for design pedagogy, addressing a way of thinking about fashion and its place in the world, an approach which encourages highly experimental and speculative design. The menswear collections of Walter van Berendonck are shown in Paris each season. The collections are influential beyond the tastes of fashion buyers or wearers. The ideas communicated widely through media reviews, social media, online networks, imagery, special projects and exhibitions. The work often displays a disruptive sense of humour as the design probes into fashion archetypes to challenge customary experiences of beauty, gender, sexuality and difference. Working across disciplines, Van Berendonck has collaborated with some of the most respected creatives, including performance artist Orlan, 
legendary fashion photographer Nick Knight and Australian designer Mark Newsom. So my role tonight is to start the conversation between um, Chris and Walter. Playing in the background um, is the current collection in store, um, Shut Your Eyes to See, and we can talk to Walter about that one later. But to begin the conversation, and as I, I seamlessly move to my chair, um, I was going to ask you to, to turn on your microphones and perhaps we can start with, how do you know each other? You're right, Walter? Shall I start? Yes. Hmm. Uh, actually, I think I know unconsciously you, Walter, since 1983, because in 1983 I bought my first green Kurdish shaped like Comme des Garçons at the shop of Jenny Mairens in Brussels. Mm -hmm. Those who of you who don't know who Jenny Mernes is, she was seminal for the career of Martin Margiela. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jenny Mernes uh, was one of uh, those persons who was also active in terms of the promotion of young Belgian fashion. And uh, visiting the shop of uh, Jenny Mernes in Brussels, starting in 1983, all these young names came up. And of course, the name of Walter was mm -hmm. one of these names. And I still remember that Jenny said to me, she said, but you have to know that Belgian fashion and these fashion designers are incredibly serious because they know how to make things. Mm -hmm. And Jenny was very adamant about saying how to make things. When she talked about Marta, when she talked about the colleagues, the Antwerp five plus one. <laughs> and uh, Making things uh, reminded me then that Jenny had told me that you guys were working at Bartsons. Bartsons, which was a kind of a classic, mm -hmm. a classic line that stuff my father was wearing, yeah. uh, which was uh, like Burberry, and that you guys were making yeah. Yeah, yeah, Burberry's, Bartsons, raincoats. Okay, that's the beginning. So, um, Walter sprung to my mind since 1983, because then it, I mean, that was the period it all started. And then in 1996, when I moved from the Center for Contemporary Art in Rotterdam to the Museum Boymans van Beuningen, which is mm -hmm. an amazing distinguished museum. We have mm -hmm. old masters, Rembrandt, Vermeer, but also an amazing collection of industrial design. And our curator of design, industrial design, Mr. Timo to Dutch, it's a name to remember, he said we are going to start to collect, to buy fashion items and we're going to make fashion exhibitions, which created a storm in the <laughs> Boymans van Beuningen Museum because one of the first projects was actually inviting Martin Margiela to show one of his new lines and Timo and Martin Margiela, because he was then still with Martin Margiela, now he has disappeared. He wants to become an artist, a painter, I believe. <laughs> he injected with bacteries his clothes, and after a couple of days and weeks, all these mushrooms started to come out, and we had a problem with the air conditioning because all these bacteries started to get in the air to the air conditioning of the Boymans <laughs> onto the Rembrandt. So there we went, that was our first fashion uh, exhibition. The second fashion exhibition was Walter, and again, uh, Timo to Duits, our curator, gave all the freedom in the world to the fashion designer, in this case Walter von Berenung. And Walter said, 
you know, I want to make also an exhibition of fashion which is questioning what the exhibition of fashion is. Now we all know because everybody's doing it, but that was at the early days. And I do think that our radical uh, approach of making exhibitions of fashion, the approach of Timo and his fashion designers, is still the most radical. Think mm. of the Martin Magella and mm, think of absolutely. what this guy did, because he invited Mark Newson and the then muse of uh, 1997, or yes, Long, mm -hmm. to collaborate with you. So. Walter created another scandal because we had a very, very, um, I would say, tacky um, museum shop seller. And he <laughs> wanted to create a museum shop, a pop-up shop. I'm talking about yeah. 1998. And Mark Newson was going to design the fashion shop for Martin. And Orlan was at the opening because mutilation, the prothesis, yeah. mm -hmm. changing, transforming faces, bodies, that was part of the opening act, and our guards, they had all these kind of weird faces, which is documented by Jürgen Teller in this book. Walter was, came back in 2000 because we used aesthetic terrorism. Uh, one of his slogans, we used aesthetic terrorism for a group show, which was called Aesthetic Terrorism before 2001. Yes. And after that, Walter came back to the Boymans in 2007 with his partner and colleague, Dirk van Sane, to make an exhibition about surrealism and fashion. So, in mm -hmm. fact, the Boymans van Beuningen was and is Walter. Mm -hmm. uh, then I was invited in 2001 to contribute to his exhibition, which he curated, Geland, Landed, mm -hmm. which was celebrating Antwerp as, an as a city of fashion. But more so, this was the, for the first time that Walter really, I think, showed off this incredible approach, which now is completely normal for everybody, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. trying to go global with fashion. Global in the sense of you know, ethnological objects, also looking beyond Paris, beyond London, beyond uh, then, you know, Berlin, mm. which started off, and looking to the world. And I think that was like a manifesto exhibition. So I was very happy to be witness of these radical approaches. That's how mm. it started. And, and I went quite often to the legendary shows of the Fashion Academy in Antwerp, I saw Walter in his shop in Antwerp, a good friend of mine, Brechtje van der Haag, did a film about you. I mean, so there was all these vibe, yes, and uh, now we are sitting here together, and I feel perfectly normal to sit with Walter together. But the first thing I have to say to you, Walter, is I'm not here to represent Tate Modern because I do not believe that fashion is art. Fashion is industrial design. Mm -hmm. And I recall what Dries van Otto said, two weeks ago in the Financial Times, I hope the fashion world is not ruining the art world and vice versa. <laughs> he said that to Elizabeth Eaton. And I think that Dries is right. Fashion is not art. Art can use fashion, and fashion mm. can use art, but it's not art. The reason why I agreed as director at the Boymas von Beuningen to do all that stuff with Martin Margiela and Walter van Berendok and to buy Ray Kawakuba and to buy Dirk van Sana and to buy his items and commissioning Mucha Prada a piece as a homage to Jeronimus Bosch, which I also did, was simply because I think that fashion is one of the most important expressions of industrial design. And fashion is incredibly important because of bio, what I call biopolitical reasons. And now fashion is very important because of the performative. Mm. I can go on and on, but this should be a conversation. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, I, I have very good memories of uh, working in the Boyens van Beuningen. And I think it was also very, um, adventures that, that we could install 
uh, like a working shop in that museum because it was, uh, of course, not done. The people were entering and they actually could try on the clothes and could buy them. So it was a very strange and, and weird experience for them all. But uh, I think the whole context and, and working together with uh, um, uh, Mark Newson doing the installation, you remember the, the flying mannequins on the windows, uh, styling was done by Olivier Rizzo, who became afterwards very famous also. The, um, uh, working together with Orlan, the, she came over, we did all these prosthetic makeups on all these people. It was an incredible experience. And then on top of that, Jurgen Teller photographing the catalogue, um, Belief, uh, it was fantastic to do. And I think that that, uh, that is also, I mean, a very good example of how I like to work with fashion and I like to work with with other people, with other creative people. And I think that um, that kind of projects really give you wings almost. Mm -hmm. and, and I agree totally with Chris that uh, fashion is not art. No fashion is in the first place consumption and selling uh, pieces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me it's extremely important that they finally get on the market and they get mm -hmm. into shops. Mm -hmm. But I also think that, that uh, uh, the way that you present it and also the way that it can um, that it, the context that you presented, you then come very close to how artists work and how uh, art is working. So there is this, this overlapping and you do uh, yeah, steps in different directions, I think. I think what's also interesting right now, uh, when you talk about displaying fashion, that uh, for me one of uh, a very important architectural movement and trend are those spaces made mm. to display mm. and to sell fashion mm -hmm. and I think they, they become more and more important so the whole idea of displaying fashion and selling fashion is going to have an amazing effect on architecture and you know the way we conceive spaces and mm -hmm. interesting enough the spaces for displaying and selling fashion are both technological and again Walter is one of the pioneers working with uh, the lab in Brussels in terms of media using media technologies in fashion but it's also an interesting an interesting thing for architects Rem Kolas what he did for Musha Prada mm -hmm. yeah. uh, conceiving a total new idea of what a shop is and a shop is a museum a shop is a theater a shop mm -hmm. is 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 almost like a research lab I mean this is going to influence the future and I wish there would be more courageous brands would dare to work <laughs> with architects yeah. like Musha with Remdit, but also Walter with mm. Mark Newsom, because your shop mm. in Antwerp was also one of the early experiments in order to what so. is showing, showing off, trying on and displaying. And when I see shops in Sydney and in Melbourne, I wish there was a little bit more courage here as well on behalf of uh, those people who invest in fashion mm. and those people who distribute mm. fashion. It would be very interesting that it was a little bit more courage. That's what I would like to say about that. <laughs> so what about the exhibition now? What about Dream the World Away? Going through your archive and putting that together. What was that sort of experience? Oh, it, it, it was, of course, it was a really nice um, uh, question from Katebo from uh, the Momi in Antwerp to, to ask me, are you uh, interested to, to make an exposition and, 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 and in fact uh, um, I'm, I kept my whole archive, my whole life was 
storing them everywhere, so I, I kept every piece of, uh, of all the shows that, that I did in the past. And, um, and we started approximately like, uh, I think it was uh, almost two years before the, the actual opening date, uh, I started to, to bring together uh, as much as possible looks that I could uh, mm -hmm. present in the exhibition. And it was a, a very weird experience because at one side you go through your archives, you see all these uh, pieces and looks come together. And on top of that, I mean, all these memories are coming back and you're, you're, you're seeing and, and you're experiencing everything what you went through all these years. And, and, and I remember very well the moment that I, I really put it all together there. I felt very proud at one side, but on the other side, I was also a little bit overwhelmed by the fact that at the end it looked like one big collection. I mean, even like colors and, and themes and, and everything really evolved from one collection into the other. And, and uh, if you're now going to see it in the design hub, also there you'll see that uh, pieces which I created in, in the early 80s are standing next to pieces from the 90s and, and from 2000. And it all tells a story which is, um, I think, very recognizable and which has a very clear signature. And I'm very proud about that uh, fact. I think what Walter is saying is a very good illustration about um, the importance of museums like the Modern Museum in Antwerp. Mm -hmm. um, when, you, when you go through the archives of the Giotto Costume Institute, when you go through the archives of the Modern Museum in Antwerp, you just start to be conscious that an archive is not just a repository, but exactly. can also be an imaginative site. Exactly. And thanks to the Modern Museum in Antwerp, we start to think also that these objects, they should be part of an archive which can grow and grow and hopefully which can be added on the future by, fashion, by items which are not immediately related to fashion. And this reminds me of mm -hmm. experiments in Frankfurt at the Weltkulturenmuseum, mm -hmm. the World Culture Museum, which is run by Clementine Delis, where uh, PAM, Perks and Minis, was recently invited to work and research on ethnological objects. So the museum is a very important place for fashion to be taken seriously as an industrial design, but the museum is also an imaginative site for fashion today. Mm -hmm. And not just, you know, the art museum, mm -hmm. because everybody starts to do that, but I think we really have to make sure that also in Australia, that these museums will take care of fashion, that they get all the possibilities in terms mm -hmm. of finance and infrastructure mm -hmm. to think about what an archive could be. And then you have results like Walter, because today I was shocked again that in an <laughs> exhibition as this one, you see that Walter van Berendonk is completely, completely another kind of breed. And another kind of breed because fashion is living of this constant change, constant cycles, constant le système de la mode. With Walter, you start to encounter an other way of conceiving fashion because his pieces which he conceived in 86, 87, the earliest pieces are 86, 87 and then there is an early piece of 1980 from the Moda Academy, mm -hmm. from the Fashion Academy, then the whole thing of the cycle, the season is, is absent. It becomes something else. Mm -hmm. And I was today made very aware that his fashion is not about chronos and about the seasons, but it's about the Greek word which we use in music theory, kairos, which is time 
as an opportunity, as a gift, as a moment of attention. Because these pieces of 86, 87, they could have been made today. And the fantastic thing is that pieces of 86, 87, they are now made today by, by other people. <laughs> and it's, 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 an absolutely, it's an absolutely different way in this exhibition of looking at fashion, because mm -hmm. normally in fashion exhibitions, I mean, a very boring one was Schiaparelli and Prada in the Metropolitan Museum. My goodness. <laughs> oh, God. Um, this whole idea of chronology and style, it's so boring. I remember when we did with Cardebo, when Cardebo did the Maison Martin Margiela, 20 years, also there were this whole idea of topics, of issues, of items, you know, that was important. But with Walter, it's striking that there is no way to tell this in a chronological sequence. And with Walter, this exhibition is also indicating that if you want to archive his work, you have to start to archive also other things. Mm. Ethnological mm. objects, yeah. but mm. even memento mori's invitation cards mm. of artists like Paul McCarthy, etc. So the whole idea of the archive is, in terms of Walter's work, mm -hmm. is absolutely crucial, and that's why I'm so glad that this exhibition is here because it's not only showing the way for exhibitions about fashion; it's also showing the way for curators and critics exactly. and for the public. Mm. Because I, I really found it extremely important to show next to the looks actually the process, the way I'm working, mm -hmm. because like uh, Chris is describing it uh, yeah, in a very good way. But for me, it really goes very spontaneous. I, I really, um, from the beginning, I was combining so many uh, things which were uh, inspiring to me, which I liked, which uh, I researched. And, um, and in fact, the starting point of, of the whole exhibition were my working books. I'm uh, since since uh, the 80s. I'm making a kind of scrapbooks where I put together uh, pictures, images, artists I like. Um, but I combine that already in that process with words and and with slogans, and and like that, it really starts to 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 become already a story inside my scrapbooks, and 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 gradually these books are then uh, evolving, and then a certain moment when when I have all this input and have all these, these things over there. It's all in my head also at that time. I really start to sketch and I literally sketch uh, from top till bottom to look like I'm going to make it afterwards. So it's a very concrete, uh, like well-organized, well-thought-through process, but, but something which I'm, I'm doing every season again. And I find it very uh, important to show that process in my uh, exhibition here. And then that uh, became the Wonder Wall. We call it the Wonder Wall. And um, besides, like uh, huge blow-ups of images and pages from my workbook, you uh, see uh, parts of um, ethnic uh, uh, costumes, uh, artifacts. I'm, I'm interested in. Uh, you see um, work from uh, Paul McCarthy, from Mike Kelly. Uh, you see uh, work from from other artists. And, uh, and even like uh, dance that I'm interested in. So you see like all these, these elements which are part of this creative process and part of the way I'm, I'm thinking. But it's not at all pretentious. No. I mean, because fashion exhibitions can be very boring, like if Schiaparelli and Prada. Uh, they can be incredibly, incredibly hypocrite, like uh, every single Armani exhibition. Um, they, can be, they can be incredibly pretentious. Yeah. I'm not going to call names. Mm -hmm. 
And they can be very, I mean, they, they very precise because this person sitting next to me, we are both Belgian, by the way, uh, he is not only, you know, this, this very important designer, industrial designer of a biopolitics, but he's also a curator. He's also a bookmaker. He's also a true pedagogue, because don't forget that Walter is since 2007 the director of the Fashion Academy, no, we'll which, which we yep. celebrate now this year, 50 years Antwerp Fashion teaching Academy. Since 85. Since 85, you're teaching. So that's, that's kind of interesting, that, that fashion, which is a very kind of narrow street dictatorship, that he opens that up, and that there are all these entrances. And that's what I find very interesting with Walter, that uh, many, many different people have access to the work, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, that makes a challenge also for, for exhibition makers. I mean, and this exhibition is opening up many different wonder worlds, and when it says here, dream the world awake, I think the exhibition should be called, it makes you awake. And uh, <laughs> awake about the fact that Walter is connecting everything with everything else. That's an expression by Father Lenin, communist, as you know. And uh, everything is connected to everything else. Gilles Deleuze, the French philosopher, said that also. But with Walter, also everything is connected to everything else. And, and I think that's the world of today, which is the plus sign. And that makes this exhibition incredibly precise, yet very generous. And again, before its time. So, um, pas mal. We say in Antwerp, chapeau. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> <laughs> they say also in Antwerp, one a cinema. Yeah, one a cinema. What a film. <laughs> so so let, let's catch up. Let's talk a, a little bit about um, the Academy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about the an anniversary show? And, and some background? Yeah, I think it's a, um, a very special year. So uh, we are celebrating this year 50 years of uh, the fashion department. And uh, we're celebrating also 350 years of Royal Academy of Antwerp. Mm -hmm. And um, we had uh, a few weeks ago, yeah, our um, anniversary uh, show in Antwerp with the school, 50 years. And uh, we're working, I'm working as a curator uh, and co-curator on two exhibitions which will open at the beginning of uh, September. Uh, one is uh, 350 years of uh, Royal Academy. It's more the historical uh, vision. I try. I didn't do it really historically 100%, but it's more like a, um, a kind of walk through all the important moments from these 350 years. And I, I try to, um, at one side, show the historical uh, important moments when the academy started up and, and how everything uh, uh, began after the death of Rubens, because that was uh, the mm -hmm. moment. And besides that, I'm also showing like uh, approximately 120 works, uh, paintings and sculptures from people who graduated from the school, who were teaching mm -hmm. at the school. Mm -hmm. And that will be presented in a huge golden wall, another wall, <laughs> but a golden wall where I will present the, the paintings in the typical 1900 historical way. So from the floor to the ceiling, everything is full of paintings. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I selected all these paintings and I made afterwards a kind of composition with uh, yeah, paintings from, uh, from uh, 200 years ago, next to Luc Tamans, an actual contemporary painting. And I, I really tried to create almost like a story 
through this work from other people. And that will be the main main part of the exhibition, which will uh, run in the Mass Museum, which is a new museum mm -hmm. that opened two years ago in Antwerp. You, you hear it; you're a storyteller, and I think that that has liberated, you know, this whole dictatorship of the season. You yeah. want to tell stories. It's you don't want to story. follow the season. Yeah. You yeah. don't want to follow the trend. You don't want to listen to Lide by Edelcourt when she predicted <laughs> that uh, shit Another brown season. is going to be the next color. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Horrible. And then we had, you know, and then we had to go to Biela to buy shit brown. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> So I mean, no, it's really you, about you make story. stories, which is amazing, yeah. and and that's and don't forget that these stories are embedded in Flanders and in Belgium, because when mm. you look at uh, Walter van Berenong, I'm short-sighted, so everything is blurred, but then you get to see more in a way. <laughs> I, I I start to look at these things like uh, the paintings of Hieronymus Bosch, mm -hmm. but also figures of James Ensor, and even these weird figures of La Periode Vache, uh, which is the bad period of René Magritte, uh, the, the, the surrealist. So there are many, many uh, different ways to approach him, but I would like to stress that this is a very Belgian way. Also, mm. when, when Walter is interested in the grotesque, the abject, but the mm. funny one, the friendliness of the grotesque, it's never dangerous. You know, mm. it's always friendly, it's very Belgian. Think of Bruegel. Huh? It's aggressive, but it's friendly. Funny face, you can call it, not, not the other one. But it's, so, I mean, that's, that makes it for me very, very Belgian. Mm. He's a storyteller, and probably because of his interest in stories and in language, that created for you not an exit way, but I would say a kind of deviation. Uh -huh. In front of the, the block of the dictatorship of time and fashion, you went to the left and to the right. And that's, I find, very, very interesting. And also it's very schizophrenic because we are coming from a very schizophrenic country where everything has double meanings. And double meanings is interesting. For instance, in Ostende, we have a street which in French it's called Rue de Paradis, Paradise Street. And in Flemish, we call the same street, the Paradise Street, we call it the Street of Hell. So <laughs> if that's not surrealism, then I don't know it. And I think that's also in the work of Walter. He plays with yes, these kind absolutely. of puns. Yeah. And I find that so interesting. So I would like to say he is a Belgian surrealist. Surrealist, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mind to be called that way. And, but, uh, but in every project I'm doing, I think spontaneously uh, in that direction, I want to tell a story. And it's uh, an exhibition or it's uh, yeah, even like a collection or commercial collections I'm making, I try to tell stories and I try to, to um, underline certain ideas which I think are very important. Shall we tell here a story about commercialism and fashion? Not yet. What I want to say is you're <laughs> not shying away of the limitations of fashion, both technological, financial and in everything else. I mean, uh, the reason why you're interested and in, I mean, you have to buy the book because in the book you see many other expressions of your work, yeah. which is children's clothing, which I think mm. is exciting mm. children's clothing mm. because he had mm. certain laws, but you can experiment with new fabrics and colors and signage. And then your interest in sports clothing, I think sports clothing is one of the most exciting things mm. in the world because the man-made fibers of sport clothing, you can do mm. so many mm. things with it. Mm. And then, of course, sometimes, Walter, you run into problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, these problems can be called like Mustang, 
right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think <laughs> I think Mustang, of course, what happened there was, uh, I think, uh, for many, also your fans like me, a traumatic experience, but it didn't say much about you, it said much about this world. Yeah. I mean, which is a very, very vicious world. And uh, I think one of the more dramatic uh, experiences in the exhibition is when you encounter the line, no references. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean defeat, but in a way you went like blank. Start, yeah? You went yeah. blank yeah. and you wanted just to have a white sheet of paper and to write, I want to start again, I want to reinvent yeah. again. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was a, it's a very moving moment, eh? because he's not the only one who encountered that problem. Mm. You know, there are many. Mm. Hmm? But it's because you try to keep your independence. Yeah, of course, that, that, was that you can do this. Extremely important, and and and, um, and that because uh, no references was exactly 2000, 2001, mm -hmm. right. when I uh, really um, was like uh, working on the landed mm -hmm. project in Antwerp. Right. And for me, it was like uh, researching and, and refreshing myself because I needed it after this uh, almost 10 years of uh, working so intensively in an extremely commercial world. They gave me extremely a lot of freedom and I had a lot of possibilities. But I'm at a certain moment when they really wanted to interfere and wanted to, to uh, give it a more extremely uh, commercial direction, I felt really misused and I can really understand that if you see the dramas that are happening in fashion, um, the last years it was very, very obvious. About it it has to do yeah. with that kind of uh, vicious world, which is sometimes uh, yeah, so dominating and, 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 and killing uh, uh, creativity and killing designers, literally also. I, I mean, <coughs> we are amongst ourselves, so this is all, <laughs> this is all off the record, okay? But the way diesel, the way diesel. Yeah. Shall I continue my sentence? Yeah. No, everybody understood already. The way diesel. So I didn't yeah. see anything, yeah. right? But it's, it's. I want to say something right. else. Right. Because I, I wanted to tell also that besides the mass exhibition, 350 years of uh, um, uh, academy, we have also the 50 years of fashion department, which will be again in the MoM in uh, Antwerp. And there um, we're going to show the, the history of the school and, and uh, we're going to do that through another wall, kind of wave, but it's um, a wave which will start uh, in the entrance of the, the uh, actual MoMU and it will go up all the stairs till the beginning of the exhibition. And there we're going to show chronologically since uh, 1963 till 2013 all the work from the people that graduated the school that were important for the school, also the, the teachers which are there, the, the, the different heads of the school, uh, starting with uh, Mede Prigeot, who was uh, my teacher at that mm -hmm. time, afterwards Linda Lopa, and then afterwards me. So we're going to show all this uh, history and this, um, yeah, this, this uh, creativity, this dynamic energy in this kind of wall. Where we're going to use like uh, uh, pictures, videos, um, uh, drawings uh, from all these yeah, hundreds of people that graduated uh, the school. And that's in just the intro of the exhibition because uh, when you then enter the exhibition, we, um, uh, we realized to get together approximately uh, 80 uh, looks, complete looks, from people who graduated there since. Uh, 
we start approximately with 1980. Mm -hmm. So uh, all uh, graduate looks from uh, people that meanwhile became very well known and uh, that became like internationally well-known designers. Mm -hmm. And we're going to actually show the complete look uh, from their graduates uh, collection. That will be presented in four different mood rooms, we can call it. And then we show also careers of uh, people that mm -hmm. um, graduated there. And on top of that there will be the room which will be dedicated to friendship, which is the room uh, from the 6 plus Martin, so mm -hmm. the 6 plus 1 room, uh, where we're going to reconstruct the actual period when we were studying at school. So it's um, a kind of memory room, I think, mm -hmm. where we show uh, images uh, of the time we were studying at school. And we have videos, we have uh, drawings, we have uh, uh, actual pictures when we were in the class. So it's uh, a rather, yeah, it's, it's the first time that this all comes together. So it's, uh, I think, a very nice exhibition to see how the... So going back to Belgian goes. surrealism, how, 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 how has the academy changed in the, the teaching of fashion? Like you were talking about your, your particular uh -huh. teacher and then how, how fashion design is put forward now in the academy. Mm -hmm. I think that actually the, the, the base of the, the whole department stayed the same. It didn't change so much because even when we were studying there, it was a totally different uh, fashion moment. It was a totally different world even then. But but still, we, we had the possibility to to um, work around our own project, our own identity, mm -hmm. and that's something that we kept over the years. Mm -hmm. So we are working very individually with all the students. We try to to push them from their own interests out and their own uh, character and vision out, mm -hmm. and that creates at the end very independent uh, visions and independent mm -hmm. statements mm -hmm. and that's evolved over the years and meanwhile they're all uh, graduating under the eyes of the international fashion world but the initial idea is still the same to uh, give them the possibility to um, work four years in a kind of very uh, protected um, hub where they are um, yeah, have the possibility to grow and to show their, their own identity. Walter, uh, in terms of teaching, uh, you said to me in this interview, which is published in Arts in Australia, that what you don't want students is to imitate the teachers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What you don't want the students is to pay tribute, to create homage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also that for you, making is important, like in the sense of taking care. Yeah. I mean, making, when I see a lot of fashion shows, I mean, I was a juror in Berlin, etc., of young people, I mean, I was fed up with concepts because I wanted to see really concepts made, translated, transformed in beautiful tricots yeah, yeah, yeah. that people start to know the material again and that they know how to make a coup and to put things together. Yeah. Is that something It's really important? part of, it's, it's very important for us because it's a, a permanent, uh, the way that we work with them, it's, it's a permanent questioning of is it good enough, is it, can it be better? Should we improve things? So it's all the time that kind of process which is uh, very demanding because we are um, asking them to, to push their own boundaries all the time. And, and we do that on, on different fields. We do that on the, on the field of creativity, but we also do that on the, the field of making actually clothes. And they're like guided extremely uh, by pattern makers. They're guided uh, by, by all the teachers in a very individual way. 
Did you make this yourself? I didn't stitch it myself. Okay, good. Are you but still I capable to stitch it? it? Could you still I, stitch this? Uh, this is a rather complicated right. thing. But, but could you do that? <laughs> I could do that. You could right? do that. I mean, that's, that's, at school we, we really ask the students mm -hmm. uh, to make their, the clothes, so the patterns right. and the clothes they right. make it, because that's the only way to work afterwards in, in the right way. If you're not able to do it yourself, you never can correct something. And of course, afterwards you work with pattern makers in companies, but still you should be able to look at it and say this should be like that and that and that. And you should have the ability to say to the actual pattern maker you make with, you have to change it that way because otherwise it will not work. Do you also look with the students at, at colors, what colors can do? Because your work is so amazing in terms of colors. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually teaching in the third year, uh, the third bachelor. And I, I, even when I became the head of the, the department, I, I wanted to keep on teaching. And I wanted to stay also in that class because it's a, it's a third year where they are working around ethnic costumes. And I love ethnic costumes and they are a huge inspiration. And I really push them to, to, to try to find something which is really very fascinating. And they, um, they work with color, they work with, with materials. and, and, uh, and I mean, most of them, they're like, it's like opening their eyes once they get into this ethnic world and they right. see all these uh, possibilities and all this, this uh, the way that people express themselves through uh, garments. And, uh, and I really push them to work with colors. I, I brought something with me mm -hmm. to test you as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm fascinated by fabrics. And now we get into performance. <laughs> I, I'm fascinated by fabric, and a couple of people here in the room are also fascinated by fabric. Uh -huh. John Calder, he has, a, he has himself, because he's coming from the textile world, he has a collection of fabrics, and he gave me Saturday night at a party, he regrets it now, he gave me this. And <laughs> but I know the technique and I know... Voila, explain us. Yeah, I, I, what is that? <laughs> no, 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 this, I, I have to, of course I cannot say exactly the... Right. But I see the, the woman in front of me who is making this. She has a kind of piercing, she has tattoos, and uh, she's sitting, and, and this is actually a technique that they cut in the fabric and they uh, sew it on, and they create like, like a depth. I, I used this fabric also in, in clothes I did in the past. But you wow, should tell me, wow, 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 wow. But you should tell me it's from, is it? It's, it's uh, John, do you know it, where it still comes from? The tribe? No. Yeah. But he passed the test, right? Yeah. Okay, good. I, I, I think it is uh, mid-America. Uh -huh. I'm most sure that it's right. in the middle of America. Uh -huh. uh, uh, and it's with your favorites, right? Green and... Green and red. Green and red. Why is green and red Groen en rood is boerenfatsoen. Sorry, sorry, we have to translate that. Groen en rood is? Boerenfatsoen. But we have this saying also in English. Green and red is the respect of the farmer or something like that. How do you say it in English? Never be seen. Never be seen. Green and red should never be seen. But I like this complimentary shock of red and green. Yeah. Good. We, nice. might, we might look at some questions from the audience. Already? Really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think we want to keep talking. We can keep talking. I don't know. I'm, I'm just conscious of the time. You're you know, I just want to say one more thing. It's so important in fashion exhibitions to do something about the music. And you know why? Because weavers, in, since hundreds of years, they have been singing with the looms. 
And the funny thing is, when I see, the, when I see fashion shows, catwalk shows, I'm so fed up with this stupid pop music and, and, and this electro blah, 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 blah. I mean, I would really <laughs> like f uh, fashion designers to think more careful about music because it's the music of the loom, of the weaving machine and the chants. Mm -hmm. And it's really important and, and I'm just you challenging you because you're so interested in ethnic and in history. This the would be something we have mm -hmm. to discuss to in the about. future. Right. Luckily we did not put on this uh, Very good. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I, I heard it, so that's why. Ah. <laughs> The music for you is important in your collection. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I, first of all, I, I like to listen to music, and I try to to catch up all the time. And um, and even uh, when selecting for the fashion show, the music it's a very intense process mm -hmm. because I think it's part of the uh, yeah the story. Sometimes I, I I know it already from the beginning. The moment I. I start to, to sketch and I, I have such sometimes my, my favorites, but sometimes it's only coming at the end. But it's always an important choice and a very important decision what mm. music will be used. Mm. So do you collect textiles? Do you collect textiles? I'm not, not, uh, not really. I mean, I, when I, I see or I find nice uh, textiles, I would, and I can buy them, I would buy them. But, um, but it's not that I collecting systematically the textiles. No. No. Walter has his toy collection here in Melbourne. How many toys are there, Walter? I don't know, but probably 800, almost 1,000. I don't know. 800 toys at the design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite an extraordinary... Um, and I'm missing them very hard because meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile they are traveling. I mean, first they were in Antwerp for uh, almost uh, uh, several months and then they were packed. Then they were traveling to Australia and now they're here for a few months. And they're actually, I mean, the, the reconstruction of the workroom you're going to see is actually how I'm working. I was working in, in, uh, at my home. I have a small workroom and all the toys are lined up on shelves at the wall. And they're always watching me while, while I'm working. <laughs> Did, didn't you once put your toys in the front row? Yes, yeah, yeah, no references. Yeah. That was a show that I was so fed up with everything. And I literally restarted that I said I even not gonna give the press or the buyers the first row. Talking about <laughs> talking about trauma. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I used the first row, I put all my toys there, and that was instead of Susie Menkes, the robot was sitting on the first row. Yeah. <laughs> I think another aspect of the exhibition that might be um, good to talk about is the Nick Knight freeze. The mm -hmm. photographic freeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another way of looking at an archive. That's an incredible, um, yeah, yeah. exciting moment. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. We um, uh, we show at the entrance of the entrance. It's the level three, or whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, level three. Level three. Uh, I'm showing three cooperations. Uh, the first one, when you enter, is the U2 uh, uh, collaboration that I did for the Popmart tour. The second one is a more recent one uh, with Erwin Wurm, uh, the walking sculptures. Uh, you're going to see a picture and also one example. And then the third one at the end of the entrance is a, um, a, a, serious, a picture, a long freeze that Nick Knight made of my archive and also a video that he shot the same moment. And, and in, it's in fact, it's uh, Simon Foxton, he's a stylist from uh, London who uh, came over uh, to my archive and he, he took literally everything that he thought was interesting out of the archive 
and he restyled it um, without looking to any season or, 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 or moment that it was created. So he recreated looks using pieces from the 80s together with the 90s and 2000. And, and, and at the end it, it comes together, it is worn by uh, all different types of men and, 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 and skin colors and it really comes together as a new collection almost. And it's a huge picture, it's, um, I don't know how long it is, 20 meters, yeah, or 20 <laughs> meters, and uh, two meters high. And it's also very dynamic and it's, uh, they're almost jumping of the, of the, now you should show them. But I mean also in the book it is uh, it's, it's very clearly shown and um, it's a very dynamic, very strong, uh, this is just, this kind of image is shown huge in the, and, and, and also there it, it showed of course that it, I'm not thinking of working with seasons or with um, with, um, yeah, it's, it's all about telling one story about energy. <laughs> <laughs> very good. It was also, the video is also very well but made, it's a very nice cooperation. It's a typical example how rich this oeuvre is, eh? because, mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about the prosthesis which he did in 1998, inspired by the Muse Orlan, which is, which is this transformation of skin, mm -hmm. we talked about the fact that maybe the next real revolution the real democratization of fashion, uh, besides Uniqlo and whatever, uh, that is that, uh, you know, working on the human body, the skin as material. I mean, Walter is, keeps telling that since, since now almost 15 years. There will be a time that we are going to think about this. I mean, there are so many examples, and, and that makes a fashion designer as Walter a truly revolutionary one, because he's not just talking about fashion, as design, but also fashion as a form of a permanent mm. self or revolution of the self, a permanent mm. form of biopolitics. I mean, the way he mm. tackled sexuality and not just homosexuality in his mm. work mm. is mm. kind of interesting. Mm. We know that the next female fetish is going to be the underarm and the upper arm. That's the big thing right now. We know that. I mean, we can think about what's going to be the next fetish of fetishization of the male body. I mean, he's talking about this. He's showing us the way to do that. So it makes the work so incredibly rich, so we can still go on for hours tonight. <laughs> well, we can, we can. I, I was trying to give you a break. I thought you might like a break, but we can, we can keep talking. I'm happy to keep talking in terms of that. I'm and hungry. that's an interesting place to go in terms of... <laughs> 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 really? Well, look, we might have Jet a question lag. from the floor. Yes. Um, so, um, have we got the mics? I think there's a mic here. Would anyone like to ask Walter or Chris a question? A fashion-related question? Only about fashion. Only about yeah. fashion tonight? Um, you talk about uh, commercial and creative design and you also mentioned conceptual design, which um, just reminded me of a recent issue of the journal Fashion Theory in which there was an interview with the designers of um, Boudicca, I think it's Zoe Broach and we Brian We really Kirby. don't understand the question. We can't, we can't can you hear you. Can oh. you? Sorry. Um, you talked about conceptual and creative design um, and commercial design as well, um, which just reminded me of a recent issue of uh, the journal Fashion Theory, which was an interview with um, the label Boudicca. Um, and they talk about the idea of conceptual fashion 
um, being sort of dated and being very 90s, and the idea of show pieces or museum pieces, pieces that are made in a collection and not really intended to be put in production. Um, and they talk about those as being outdated and they don't think it's modern. Um, and I was wondering if you could comment on that, just um, considering the history of, of your design label um, and how you, I guess, are now in current seasons moving towards what could be considered more, more wearable and more traditional garments. I, I tried to answer. <laughs> what, what is the question? Yeah. No, no. But I, I think that um, uh, what you're going to see in the exhibition, 90% uh, was um, made to be sold and made to be produced. And, um, and, and, and even when the, the pieces were rather extreme or, or very uh, worked out, they were still rent in production. And, and probably 10% of the, the pieces there are made to underline a certain idea. And I'm thinking now immediately to the, at the Sex Clown collection, which was for me a very important statement because I was again a little bit fed up and I really wanted to do an extreme statement. And, and, and sometimes I need that kind of statements to push myself further. And, and for example, that Sex Clown collection, which was all about a very um, boxy thinking, evolved later in more wearable pieces. And that's also what, what fashion designers need sometimes, that they, they, they need to refresh, they need to have uh, new, to do research and, and come up with a new direction. And, and that's, yeah, it's, it's happening all, all the time, I think, in collections. And, uh, but besides that, another topic which is extremely important is that people can, can buy it. And I, every season I'm I'm uh, after the fashion show, I'm sitting together with all my clients, I'm in the showroom, I talk with them, I, I, they're reacting on what I did that season. And it's an important um, uh, next step after the creation. And, uh, and despite the fact that I have the, the, the luxury and also the clients were very flexible to do exactly what I want, I keep on thinking that it should be possible to produce it and to have it uh, uh, in the shop finally. I don't think that, I don't know that this is okay, <laughs> please. I think we did. Yeah. Oh, Testing. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Chris, Walter and Robin, really interesting and inspiring. Um, mine question or thought goes to Chris. I like the way you talk about fashion and I was wondering if you could describe your, what your first collection would look like and how it would be shown. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. You know what? I tell you, I did it already. I, we go back to off. I bought my first Kurdish style green, camouflage green, white hips, small ankles, comme des garçons, pants, in 1983 at the shop of Jenny Meres. Since then, I have been asking my tailor in Rotterdam, and his name is Ronnie Couture, to copy it constantly. <laughs> and the funny thing is that by copying it constantly, because it always, you know, after years it runs down, the form changed. And I'm saying that for me the most exciting thing would be to make a collection about repair. Mm. It's really fascinating to think about repair. I was at the Salon del Mobile in Milano, and repair is such a fantastic thing because in our consumer society we don't repair things anymore. 
So serious repair, not conceptual repair, okay? <laughs> serious repair by Ronnie Couture in Rotterdam. Rotterdam. And the same Geert Brulot of Crocodilio for shoes. Mm. I mean, repairing shoes is a craft. And it's wonderful. So my collection would be called Repair. And by repair, change it constantly because at the end, you know, it's something else, right? And it should look good. So not conceptual repair, it should look really good. That would be my collection. Is that okay? Good. <laughs> Hello, hello. Yeah, hi. I would like to know, I've been to the um, art exhibition, because I think it wasn't a fashion exhibition, of 2,357 in Paris. 2,000? 2,357 in Paris. Ah, yeah, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you had yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm following, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, I really want to know, where, what did you do, or what will you do with your sarcophage? What I did with? What will you do or what did you do with your sarcophage? The sarcophage which was in Sarcophage. The, it's meanwhile in Rotterdam in the museum. Ah, is it? Yeah, yeah. Because, um, I mean, I have to explain a little bit because it's very... I don't know that people will get it like this. But um, I was uh, invited by a gallery in Paris to, um, to do a kind of installation. And um, I came up with a, another story which was about the, the discovery of my um, tomb and sarcophage. Sarcophage, you say that in... Sarcophage? Sacri sarcophage? No, not no, sarcophage. A uh, tomb. 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 A tomb. Sarcophagus. Yeah. Sarcophagus? Yeah. yeah. Sarcophagus? Okay. Yeah. Which will be found in 2057. Oh, okay. Yep. Which is exactly 100, uh, so just still when I'm uh, 100 years. And um, the, the whole story was this uh, kind of discovery. And I created the sarcophagus and I created all the ingredients, a little bit like Tutankhamun, the story, and all the, in, the things that were found into that uh, town, tomb. And, um, and for me it was, was again like telling a story, it was the, the discovery by aliens and uh, it became a kind of um, story to work around to, to make different uh, artifacts which could be presented is, as an installation. Afterwards I, I uh, was invited by uh, Boris van Beuningen to um, participate in, the col in the, an exhibition. The museum which did this show in 1998. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, I created in fact also the, the, the entrance of the tomb, so also the, the building. And then I presented it together with the sarcophagus and with all the pictures about it. And meanwhile, it is uh, I, I it, it stayed there. It is an installation which is now in the museum in, in Rotterdam. Mm. Will you be buried in it? <laughs> Will you be burnt? Buried. <laughs> buried in it. Buried, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, also something interesting to say in the exhibition here. You're going to see a very funny car in yellow, but actually it is a coffin, a coffin from Ghana in Africa. So also there you have this kind of, uh, uh, yeah, this fascination for, for objects and things. And, and sometimes what you see is not what you think you see. 
And that's also like I, I tried to I try to work. We should we should say that these and other objects like from Papua New Guinea, I mean Walter knows what he wants, but they were brought here thanks to a fascinating dealer, a connoisseur in Sydney, who is um, Ray Hughes. Ray Hughes, yeah. Amazing, amazing. I mean, if you see the stuff there, I think the stuff here is better than Antwerp, you know? No? At the um, Papua New Guinea. We are closer to Papua New Guinea than in Antwerp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're beautiful pieces. So, so the pieces in the exhibition were sourced here in Australia. So we used Ray Hughes. So we had this incredible um, repository of just everything. Mm. So we sent a list and yes, we kept yeah, finding more and more thing. incredible things. So it really is um, a very rich collection in itself. Mm. Um, but together it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, but also very particular uh, pieces which you could not find in Australia came over from Belgium. Yeah. Yeah. If we talk about the museum in Bench, yeah. which is an incredible yeah. museum, yeah. Uh, which is mainly uh, focusing on European carnival and, and, uh, and masks, and uh, several of mm. them came over also. Mm. Did we have all this? You have to let this person with the nice jumper. <laughs> yes, you have to stand up. You well, can be part like of the exhibition. Which line, which line is this? <laughs> this is from What Little Trash. From oh, okay. I don't know when. <laughs> yes, I see some. Do you trim it yourself? Do you do it yourself? Uh, mainly my friend over there is trimming it from time to time. And when I'm in Paris, I also go to a, a barber who is cutting it. <laughs> it feels always very nice because that's also a little bit the meaning of, of uh, being a fashion designer, is having it uh, on the streets afterwards. And, and also seeing this piece now, which I uh, created in, in mid-90s, it's really... When was it? 1997. Now it feels nice because it means that, that you still cherish it and that you still want to wear it and that you still can wear it. It's, uh, that was a good quality. So it's really Did you nice. repair it already? Mm. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> No, no, but it feels good, it feels nice. Yeah. And, and, and I do appreciate also that uh, people are mixing it up and, and wearing it with other clothes and, and it's, uh, it's a nice feeling. And also see the back there, the puk puk back. Yeah. Everybody who is wearing a Walter van Beer, no, stand up. No. No. Come on, stand up. No. You're very so shy. Stand up. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> There's a question up there. Yeah. Um, I think it was touched on a bit earlier in one of the questions, but I was just wondering how far you delve into your research. You were talking about how ethnic tribes and cultures influence your designs. Have you actually travelled into some of these? Have you seen the techniques and how they they make their their own fabrics, their own fashion um, and, and taken those techniques on or is it just images for you? Like how far do you delve into the research? Just help me. The question is how I do she the research. You know how about the research when you look into particular ethnic communities, yeah, 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 how yeah. you go about yeah, researching yeah, 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 yeah. that? Yeah. 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 It's, it's mainly starting uh, again very 
when I'm attracted to a certain image, I'm mainly going through books. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to see, I mean, also now researching on, on the internet. But when I see something which is really appealing to me, I go further. I, I go deeper in, in research. I try to know more about the subject. And, 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 and like that, it is, at the end, it is yeah, growing and, and also evolving. Because it's, it's never the idea to do it exactly as it is done by, by um, ethnic tribes. I, I, it's not that I want to imitate it, but it, it's like uh, pushing my fantasy forward. And, and I definitely translate it also in my own language. And, and, but I mean, it's fascinating how you see how, how people are decorating their bodies. And, and, and certain of this, um, this way of doing that uh, is something that you you really can translate in into a more contemporary uh, version, and and that's a very important thing. I never do it literally. I let it uh, evolve. I let it. I translate it in in my head. I, I sketch it in a certain way that it becomes very contemporary, and that's very important. I think that you don't imitate exactly all these things. But we are still very shy of accessoires, no? because what we have is the big handbag, too big or too small. Oh, but uh, in terms of accessoires, we are still very conservative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we talked about it, huh, that mm -hmm. the handbag is almost like a shield right. to, uh, <laughs> for uh, uh, actually women of today to protect and then show themselves. And then there also I, I hope that there will be an evolution in, in uh, um, for example, my fascination for masks, it's, it dates back from the, from the 80s, but, but I, I, you feel now that there is such a kind of overdose of, of, of changing faces and by uh, putting things in front and over it, that a certain moment it will become something which will be, yeah, an accessory. Yeah. That we sit here with masks. Yeah, masks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is there one? Yes, there's... Oh. When you need them. Hi. Um, I'm just thinking about Chris's point in relation to fashion being a lot like industrial design, which got me thinking about 3D printing. And I'm just wondering what your views on 3D printing yeah, in fashion are. That will be the next step, definitely. Because... Um, I mean, I, I mean, my students are also experimenting a lot with 3D printing. And of course, for the moment, it's very limited because we don't have these materials which are flexible. But the day that they found a way to do that uh, in a flexible way, that we can actually 3D print clothes, it mm. will be finally a fashion revolution. Mm. And we are on the edge of that. You feel that it's, it's happening. I see... Um, Students are making shoes 3D printed. Um, these are static objects, but but I mean the next thing will be will be that. And then finally, uh, we also I think we're going to get rid of everything what is now happening in, in Asia. All this production, all this moving around to get the prices low. Um, of course, it will take time because the machines are not there yet and materials not there yet. But I'm sure that in, in uh, ten years time. You just print your garments. So you think it's a very positive thing? It's a very? So you feel that it's a very positive 
I think it's positive because I think uh, that the way that garments are made today, it's very old fashioned. I mean, they're still, everybody's still cutting and stitching like they were doing in 1900. And we missed that kind of evolution in fashion because the only thing was happening that uh, we were moving from Europe to, to east of Europe to produce, then to, to, to Asia to get the prices low. But there was not really a, an evolution going on in, in, in the making of the garment. And I can finally endlessly copy my Comte des Garçons. No. <laughs> Thank you. Please. Okay, well look, I'd like everyone to join me in thanking uh, Chris and Walter for sharing, sharing their I'd also, like to thank, I'd also like to thank um, um, our Vice-Chancellor, Margaret Gardner, for supporting this amazing project. Um, and also, again, Obi Milgram for making it possible. And also the uh, Design Hub staff, led by Fleur Watson, who have done a brilliant job in pulling together the exhibition. Thank you.